You're listening to episode 27 of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for birds on the black. I'm Tara, he's Alex, and this week we're wondering how early is too early to worry about slow starts? Hey, everybody. Thanks for coming back for another episode of Chirps. Right now, the Cardinals are, well, not as interesting as they were the last time we tried to record a show during the end of a game. They're down eight to nothing to the Philadelphia Phillies in the middle of the sixth as we start recording. This is the second game of the series. They won via the shutout last night. And tonight, well, they're looking to return the favor, evidently, as Everything that could go wrong has gone wrong for Dakota Hudson and particularly the infield defense for the Cardinals tonight. But Alex, there's plenty of other things to talk about besides this game that's happening as we're recording now. But man, it's it's tough to watch a game like this when we've seen the Cardinals look so strong defensively most of the season. Yeah, at least we can maybe chalk this up to an anomaly, but man, they've looked awful tonight. And it's not just one person. I mean, it's been Colton Wong and Paul DeYoung and Matt Carpenter and the, Paul yeah, Goldschmidt no, made a bad throw and Yanni made a like, bad throw. And <laughs> They look like the Detroit Tigers pitchers from the 2006 World Series everywhere on the diamond. They're just like yeah, uh, throwing the ball bad. away. That That first ball, that first little... I guess you could maybe call it a ground ball of eyes. That that sneak pass to Young and Wong was just ridiculous. Like that's a play both of them. That's a play either of them could have made, and that and that led to that big inning, uh, that big six run inning. So that was particularly frustrating. But you know, whatever. Also particularly frustrating is getting swept by the Chicago Cubs in Chicago the first time that you face them this season. Yeah, that uh, that wasn't great. They uh, kicked our butts. Yeah, I don't want to dwell on it too much, but no, that was significant. I mean, it's it's frustrating in a division that's going to be as close as it is to see the Cardinals look so overmatched. I mean, they sort of did the same thing against the Brewers to start the season, and mm-hmm. they've kind of evened that series out since then. But, man, going into Wrigley and getting swept in the fashion in which they did, that's a pretty brutal start to that rivalry series. Yeah, it wasn't great. I I could sort of feel it coming. And I, I should note that I didn't watch Saturday or Sunday just because I was busy. Um, I had other, uh, I had conflicts that kind of took me away from the TV. And obviously, uh, I, I was trying to follow on Saturday on Twitter. And all of a sudden, I guess when whoever hit that grand slam, the backup catcher, I've already forgotten his name. When that happened, I got a bunch of text messages. That, um, but they were very... They weren't specific about what happened because I think the people sending them were assuming I was watching. Um, all mm-hmm. I could tell, so I didn't know what happened. I just knew it was very bad. <laughs> um, you know, I'm trying not to overreact. Look, it's at Wrigley. Uh, it's early in the season. Uh, I tried to make a comparison on Twitter that this was the weekend last year when we swept the Cubs um, in St. Louis, completed by Dexter Fowler hitting that walk-off uh, two-run home run in whatever inning it was. And, you know, that seemed like a huge deal at the time. And it was a big deal because, you know, at that point, I think the Cardinals moved to like a game and a half ahead in the standings. They're like 21 and 15. Uh, but, you know, I, I think most people would have known that was soon going to correct itself because the, because the Cubs were the better team. And I 
still think <laughs> in spite of this game isn't the, the current game I'm watching, which why am I even watching this? This is absurd. I should turn it off and find something else to watch. But anyways, the current game I'm watching is not um, helping out here. But I still think there's a chance the Cardinals are better than the Cubs. I really do. So, you know, in, until they come to Bush Stadium and smack the Cardinals around a bit, then I'll start to get worried. Or until they start to really separate themselves in the standings from the Cardinals, then I'll start to get worried. Yeah. But like you said with the Brewers, you know, where did that correct itself? It corrected itself at home. And so far, and again, this stupid game, uh, you know, let's push this out of our mind. But they've Carl's been awesome at home, and that's been good to see. Yeah, that's been great because that hasn't been the case the last couple of years. You'd like to think you have a bit of home field advantage. They haven't really taken advantage of the opportunities they've had to create that. So seeing them play well at home has been a a good sign, I think, as far as, you know, ways that they can generate some momentum at times during the season. I would agree. I, I I only saw Sunday's game <laughs> of the the games this weekend with the Cubs and it, it was hard to watch, but at the same time, I, I found myself thinking, okay, look, it's three games and this isn't the way the Cardinals have played most of the year. So it's not like they're being outclassed by a team who's played so much better than them every step of the way. It's that they had a bad weekend and that happens. You lose four games in a row over the course of a season, at least most teams do. And that's not what's most telling. What's most telling is how you rebound and how you make adjustments for the next time you face that team. So I would agree. I think that at the end of this month, when the Cubs come to St. Louis, that will be the more telling part of the story because that will be when the Cardinals have the opportunity to make adjustments and to, to defend that home field advantage. I'm not surprised that the series between the Cardinals and the Brewers and the Cardinals and the Cubs have been difficult and frustrating and complicated so far because that's really what we all predicted, right? Is that this division, particularly with those three teams, is going to be a dogfight all the way through the year. So I was disappointed by the shutout, but you know when Hendricks pitches like that, or anyone pitches like that, what are you going to do? I was more frustrated by the the opportunities they had to score runs and they didn't, um, or to protect a lead and they didn't. But again, it's one series and what they do next is, is more important. I think the thing that will kind of flip the switch for me and maybe even kind of turn things over for that series at the end of the month could be Matt Carpenter and Paul Goldschmidt. And not just against the Cubs, but really against everyone at this point, those two guys on paper should be carrying this team. And right now they're struggling to put anything together. Alex, how worried are you about either Matt Carpenter or Paul Paul Goldschmidt and their inability to really contribute in I don't know not I I was gonna say in a meaningful way but really it's more in the way that they're supposed to based on what their role is for this team um a little worried I guess but if you don't mind I want to return to the Cubs real quick and then I'm gonna come back and answer this question more in full and what I want to say about the Cubs and you tell me uh if this sounds a bit too pedantic and if so then I apologize but I I am so tired of 
uh, Cardinals fans being babies about the national broadcast talking about Javi Baez. <laughs> like, you guys sound like the biggest, whiniest bunch of people I have ever, ever heard. You know, we always talk about how much we want MLB to like, uh, you know, why don't they market their stars better? You know, come on, this what are you doing, MLB? Well, obviously, Javi Baez is one of those players that is very marketable and he's very good and, he, you know, he's obviously very popular. Cubs fans love him. I think a lot of casual fans probably love him. Uh, so, of course, when they're on a national broadcast, the other, uh, you know, the announcers are going to be talking about him. Like, ask any other fan anytime they watched a Cardinals game when we were a mainstay in the playoffs, when they are on Sunday Night Baseball, about how much they talked about Yadier Molina. Because they talked about Yadier Molina, and they still talk about Yadier Molina all the freaking time. And they should. Like, Yadier Molina is great for the game. He's great for what we want in terms of the announcers talking about the stars and the exciting and the, uh, you know, the kind of, like, non-cookie-cutter players who are playing this sport. Uh, so Cardinals fans, quit being a bunch of whiny babies when the announcers talk about Javi Baez. Um, was that too mean? No, I, I was, I was laughing silently to myself because in the series preview that I did before the Cubs series, Corey Finneran from the IBNB podcast is a huge Javi Baez fan, and I just like listening to him talk about Javi Baez because he's so excited by what. Baez can do. Now, I've said before, kind of quietly, because most Cardinals fans don't take kindly to this, but I love watching Javi Baez play baseball. I think he's exciting. He's incredibly talented. What he can do to change the dynamic of a, a lineup as a whole, but of a game specifically, it should be celebrated. It should be a thing that we're talking about more as far as the baseball community as a whole, because it's fun and it's it's flashy, yes, but it's flashy because it's so good. Yeah. And, and I just, I enjoy watching him play. So I like listening to people who can talk about what he does when they watch him every day. So I find it interesting when it's a national broadcast for a couple of reasons. I've had this conversation a couple of times recently because a national broadcast isn't ever going to sound like a regional broadcast. Right. What are these people it's not, want? Yeah. Right. It's not your hometown announcers talking about your hometown team. It's a a national it's a, it's a group of supposedly unbiased personalities on whatever varying levels that might be who aren't talking to just Cubs fans or just Cardinals fans. They're talking to baseball fans in general. So everything they say is going to be more surface level, more headline, more flash, less substance, because that's the audience that they're talking to. So for that audience, of course they're going to talk about Javi Baez because he's the most flash that that team has and you're trying to connect an audience to what you're they're seeing on the field. So for me it's fine and and I I don't I don't lose interest in the game because they talk about Javi Baez. Yeah, I, so I was at a concert Sunday night um and so every once in a while I'd, I'd, so I missed the game, but every once in a while I'd sneak a peek at my phone to try and see what was going on. But all I would see was people complaining about <laughs> the ESPN coverage about Javi Baez. And let me be clear about one thing. I'm not saying as Cardinal fans, we should be cheering for him. I'm saying like, absolutely not. Like the opposite. Like we should boo him. He's a good player on the other team. And 
Um, you know, he plays for the Cubs. So yeah, boo Javi Baez. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm not saying like there's like that we, it's our duty to like, you know, stand and applaud him. I'm saying like well, exactly what you just said. <laughs> this is a national broadcast. You guys sound like babies. You sound like all the babies who complained when Yadier Molina gets so much attention. And he does get a ton of attention. Um, attention that he deserves. Attention, and Javi Baez is getting a lot of attention that he deserves. So uh, I don't know. Maybe stick to your radio broadcast if you... <laughs> You know, I, I hate I hate trying to tell people how to like be fans, but I'm just like, gosh, like, what is happening to people? Um, anyway, sorry, I'm gonna go back to your question because I took it another way, but that was something that uh, something you said when we were talking about the Cubs reminded me of that, so I had to get that in there. But yeah, Matt Carpenter, Paul Goldschmidt, um, not great so far. Uh, let's talk about Goldschmidt first because. He is, um, you know, I think the better player, um, obviously, and also the one who at this current moment is actually struggling more than, than Carpenter. Going, but he hasn't hit a home run since April 22nd, so in over two weeks. And since that time, he has an OPS of 504, uh, and that's in 55 plate appearances. And he has one extra base hit. That's a double during that time. So he just hasn't been good. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. He's... He's been bad. Uh, now, what I will say is it's nice seeing like a very competent first base, uh, uh, first baseman uh, as a fielder. And I, I think we've mentioned this before, but, you know, that's something, you know, it's been kind of dicey there with Carpenter before. You know, I guess Alan Craig was never, I, I don't, I'm trying to remember Alan Craig at first base and how much he even played first base. Maybe not as much as I'm imagining in my head right now. <laughs> Um, and you know, Jose Martinez was, uh, you know, I, I, I think we should never speak ill of Jose Martinez because I think he's one of the greatest things ever, but I've never seen someone that bad at first base. So it's funny how just mere competence looks so alluring. (laughs) Like, wow, look at that. Do you see the way he caught that ball? That was something, you know? Um, but no, it hasn't been great. Luckily, you know, he's been able to kind of like blend in with the weeds because we have other players hitting the crap out of the ball that we weren't counting on um, hitting the crap out of the ball. With Carpenter, you know, he, again, I didn't see a lot of that Cubs series. I watched the game last night when he hit that home run. Um, refresh my memory. What else he did in the Cubs series? He didn't hit a home run, but he had like a three hit game. Yeah, he had five hits Saturday in the, or, in the, between the Saturday and Sunday. Okay, yeah, yeah. obviously, because obviously no one was hitting Hendricks. Yeah, no. Um, you know, I, 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 everyone kept saying, like, uh, that what Hendricks did wasn't that impressive because we kept hitting the ball hard. But, you know, I feel like that's kind of, and, and maybe my memory's playing tricks on me, but I'm going back to 2016. I feel like that's kind of Hendricks' game. You put a good defense behind him, he's going to throw strikes. Players are going to get the bat on the ball. But, and especially that Cubs 2016 defense was incredible. Um, good things are going to happen for the for Hendricks's team, and I, I so I felt like that was a pretty vintage Hendricks start. Obviously, the eighty one you know eighty one pitches the Maddox he threw was you know a little out of the ordinary, but it didn't shock me. Of all their pitchers, he would be the one to throw that game, I guess. But yeah, so Carpenter, I you know I, I've been saying I think I said this last week or the week before. I, I'm not too too worried about Carpenter only because we know his track record, right? Like we know he kind of goes to these peaks and valleys uh, and that he's eventually going to click. They were talking about this on Seeing Red. I guess he gave kind of an interview with, I want to say with Gould, um, but I don't 
don't totally quote me on that, um, where he talked about, and I thought this was really interesting, they said that he mentioned the fact that in this day and age with shifts and all that stuff, that when you aren't seeing the ball, it's very hard to luck your way into a base hit. And that makes a lot of sense, right, with, mm-hmm. with a player like Carpenter, that even when you are seeing the ball, we, we know a player like Carpenter, he can still have a lot of bad luck just because, you know, he's going to be hitting the ball hard right at a, uh, you know, a shift that's, you know, in very shallow right field and they throw him out at first. So I'm not too worried about Carpenter yet. Again, this offense is not what concerns me. Goldschmidt in a vacuum, maybe a little bit. But, I, you know, remember when we first started doing this podcast, I mentioned I didn't even really know what Goldschmidt looked like. Um, so, so I can't confess that I know exactly what he's like through the course of an entire season. Cause I don't, I, you know, I just never followed the diamond, you know, it's hard enough trying to follow one team for 162 <laughs> games, let alone another team. So, you know, I know he started off horrible last year and ended up being very Paul Goldschmidt. Like, you know, I, I feel like the same thing's going to happen this year, but it's certainly worth keeping an eye on because he's been bad. Yeah. It's always interesting when it's someone like that, whether it's Goldschmidt or Matt Carpenter, you mentioned the track record. The same thing is kind of happening right now with Bryce Harper. We're seeing, of course, get <laughs> a grand slam tonight. That makes the numbers look a lot better real quickly. But he's had a, a, I don't know, he's had a rough start as far as some of the more typical middle of the lineup kind of hitter things. He's got the best walk percentage in the National League. But other than that, he's not really doing a whole lot of hitting the way that he has in the past. But it's interesting when you start to kind of look at what is different in a guy like that who's who is struggling. For Matt Carpenter, Zach Giver pointed out the other day when I was asking him about it, it's sliders. He can't hit sliders. Over half of his strikeouts this year are on sliders or cutters. And it's easy to just say, well, then learn how to hit a slider. (laughs) But it's not something that necessarily happens overnight. I was looking at Paul Goldschmidt's numbers. He's struggling against fastballs this year more than he ever has in his career. His batting average on forcing fastballs is the lowest it's ever been. He's hitting way more fly balls on fastballs than normal. The swing percentage is up the contact rate is down. So for whatever reason, that sounds bad, but go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. The, the fastball against Goldschmidt is what he hasn't adjusted to yet, which I don't know. It's, it's easy to look at that and say, well, the problem is he's not hitting fastballs much like it's easy to say, well, the problem is Matt Carpenter can't hit a slider. What you do about that then is the next part of that process. And, you know, I'm I'm not in a position to try to tell Jeff Albert how to do his job, but it seems like he probably knows those numbers just like I do. And for whatever reason, that's what is holding Goldschmidt and Carpenter back this season. Now, the reason that I mentioned the track record is because that's not something that is created in a vacuum, right? It's not something that you create in the first six weeks of a season and it never changes. These guys have established careers for a reason. And part of the thing that makes someone like Paul Goldschmidt a perennial MVP candidate is that he can make adjustments as the season goes on. So I would agree with you. I'm not worried about Goldschmidt or about Carpenter, I am frustrated that these are the two guys that should be driving this offense forward and they seem to be sort of stuck in a rut that is 
maybe easier to identify than it is to fix. Yeah. And, you know, one thing I'd like to um, pick someone like Zach Gifford's brain about is, okay, so Matt Carpenter striking out a lot on sliders, right? Well, I wonder if that is a product of a lot of players striking out a lot you know, striking out a lot on sliders mm-hmm. right now because so many more sliders are, are now being thrown in baseball than, you know, it's been a steady uptick in, in sliders. Um, and believe me, I don't know the stats at all. I could be completely wrong. And maybe Matt Carpenter is a huge uh, anomaly here. Uh, the fastball thing you said about Paul Goldschmidt, and, you know, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I was like, wow, that, that kind of concerns me because that seems it like a player who should not have a problem with fastballs that's a guy you don't want to see his bat all of a sudden looking kind of slow. You know, you know what I'm saying? Um, but obviously, you know, we've seen the power from him already this year where he'll, he'll, uh, you know, he, he just gets a hold of the ball and, and, you know, obviously I'm thinking back to that three home run game and, and, mm-hmm. and whatnot, but I should look into that research that you did more. Cause that really does interest me. If he's having that much trouble with fastballs, you know, hopefully with, players like both these guys and it may have already started with carpenter it's gonna be one of those things where i don't remember what we talked about last week but there's a very good chance it wouldn't um if we tried to have the exact same conversation this week it wouldn't work (laughs) you know hopefully that's the same thing right now with carpenter and goldschmidt that if we were to like uh you know what's what's you know may 14th a week from today if we were talking about what's wrong with goldschmidt and everyone's like what are you talking about goldschmidt three home runs (laughs) you know that you know this Right. He's going to hit like five home runs this week right. all on yeah, fastballs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but that's the thing. I mean, you can you can pull out these numbers and say, oh, well, here's a thing that that stands out. It doesn't necessarily tell the whole story. So that's that's always my cautionary note is that, look, I can tell you that his average is down on on fastballs. I can tell you that his contact rate is down against fastballs so far this year. But it's still just six weeks and it's still just a very small part of the story. Yeah. So well, I think what concerns um, me is he's striking out a ton Yeah, uh, and he's not walking as much as he used to either. Not even close. So that stuff really does concern me. And it, I'm curious how much of that is, bec- and it's, it's not so much that he looks like he can't catch up to a fastball. It looks like he's guessing and it looks like he's often swinging or not swinging because he's expecting something else. And that's that's not a good place for someone like Paul Goldschmidt to be in. You mentioned that three home run game. The first home run he hit that day, he fouled off, I don't remember, like five pitches before he finally hit one. And it was like the second foul ball when I knew he was going to hit one out of the park because you could see him lock in on what was what was being thrown. You could see him very much in control of the at bat. And that's what we haven't seen from Paul Goldschmidt, whether it's, whether it's a fastball or not. I haven't seen that very often where it looks like something clicks and he can see the ball better. He knows how to approach the at bat. He can fight it off until he gets a pitch to hit. That's what I haven't seen from him really very often since he did it in that game in the opening series. And that was that was more than just a couple of games ago at this point. So there's, there's a solid stretch where he hasn't looked locked in. I just did air quotes and no one can see them, but you get the point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, sometimes when people move to a new place or join a new team, it takes a little longer than it might normally would for them to get adjusted, whether it's um, with your new teammates, whether it's with the new ballparks or whatnot. 
Um, we could just be seeing that. You never know. You know, like you said, we're still only about six six weeks, five weeks into the season. We still have a long way to go. So that's my hope is that he's still just kind of, you know, he has this new contract. He's in this new city. He's still just kind of getting adjusted to what's going on. Yeah. There's plenty of reason to expect him to end the season very much like Paul Goldschmidt normally does. So that's that's why we keep saying I'm not really concerned, but <laughs> there are some things to look at. I mean, that's what we do, right? We analyze every little possible piece of a season. But to wrap this up on a positive note, one of the reasons we're not super worried about the offense is because of Paul DeYoung and the dramatic turnaround that he has shown since that first week or so of the season. I'm just going to rattle off a few numbers here to put it in perspective. Coming into tonight's game, his WRC Plus is fifth in the National League behind Cody Bellinger, Christian Yelich, Wilson Contreras, and Reese Hoskins. Just, you know, a few guys at the at the peak of their game. His OPS, the same rankings. He's fifth behind those other players. In Batting average, if that's your jam, he's fifth behind Bellinger, Jeff McNeil, Yelich, and Melky Cabrera. Can I interrupt you real quick? Yes. So you just mentioned batting average. Um, I, I think I might get into a batting title this year. Like, uh, like you know how, like, you know, I'm going to try and get into David Bowie this summer. Like, like uh, it's going to be similar to that. Like, because, you know, no one cares about batting average anymore. But I used to love batting titles and following them in the paper. So if Paul DeYoung can stay near the top – I'm going to get really invested in him winning a batting title. It's not going to mean I think he's, if he wins a batting title, he's going to be the MVP or whatnot. But I just, I don't know. I feel like that's one thing that kind of has gone away that it, that was really good for the game, which was following things like that. You know, I remember in 1997, like kind of the first year I really followed the Cardinals getting into Jack Clark and Andre Dawson kind of having a home run ba- battle. Um, then Clark got injured and Dawson ran away with it. Obviously, Sosa McGuire, you know, we all remember that. I remember Pedro, you know, I talked about Pedro Guerrero last week, like trying to see if he could finish the season with the most RBIs. I don't, do people still do that? I don't feel like they do know. that as much. And I, I think that, you know, again, like this is not an indictment on um, advanced stats, which, um, you know, I think we both uh, know, support, and continue to try to learn more about. But, I do miss that stuff because it seems like it doesn't yeah. matter as much anymore. And like, yeah, I'm, I'm with everyone who says like batting average isn't as important as we used to think it was, but that doesn't mean you still can't have fun. Like, you know, that doesn't mean a batting title is meaningless. It's not meaningless at all. Yeah. And that doesn't mean you can't have fun following that stuff. So Tara, I'm going to get into a batting title this year. All right. I'm going to get invested. Yeah. Um, <laughs> th- that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep track. I just thought of this. I'm going to keep track of it going forward. Uh, maybe every week I will, let people know where Paul DeYoung sits in the uh, batting race. Although Bellinger is currently crushing everyone, but I don't think he's in bat 400. So who knows? Maybe, yeah. maybe it can get closer. Um, I just interrupted you for a very long rant. You go ahead. No, Sorry. It, I, I appreciate that though, because when you look at a lot of the stuff that Paul DeYoung is doing, mm-hmm. someone asked me earlier today, why does he not have the national media attention? Well, I think it's because a lot of, well, it's because Cody Bellinger is just crushing everyone right now. But it's also because he doesn't have that track record that we talked about with Paul Goldschmidt and with Matt Carpenter. And also because 
a lot of what he's doing isn't necessarily flashy. He's not leading in home runs, but he is tied with David Peralta of the Arizona Diamondbacks with 14 doubles this season. He's second behind Bellinger in total hits this season. I mean, what he's doing is quietly as good as almost anyone else in the game right now. And I don't know if we're talking about him enough, much less national media. I don't know if we're talking about Paul DeYoung enough. In the field, he's just like, he's so smooth. Uh, That's like smooth with four O's. He's smooth. Yeah, like uh, he's not, there are plays that Javi Baez can make um, that Paul DeYoung can't make. Oh my God, this little kid is getting kicked out of a baseball game. Tara, you're not, did you see what just happened here? No, I did not. Okay, so in an 8-1 game, the Phillies hit a double down the line, and this little kid, uh, probably nine years old tops, happens just to reach down and touch it with his glove, you know, like a lot of kids would do, but mm-hmm. the ball was fair. They're kicking him out of the game. He's, he's, him and his dad are marching up the steps right now. That's insane. Who cares? It's not a 10-1 game. Anyway, uh, I lost my train of thought. I can't believe they did that. All right. I should, why am I watching this? Um, it's, just, <laughs> it's a bad game. It's distracting from what we're trying to do. All right. Positive thoughts. So, Paul DeYoung. <laughs> yeah. I, I think you can make a very good argument, and I'm going to make the argument that the Cardinals have both the best shortstop and the best second baseman, if not in the National League as a whole, at least in the NL Central. And maybe that sounds like I'm throwing shade at Javi Baez, and maybe I am. But but I think there's a, a good argument there. Now, what you can also probably say is that what's not mutually exclusive is you could say that, but also say Javi Baez is still better than both of them because he can kind of do things that they that the others can't. Um, like, obviously, he can shift back and forth between those two positions um, way better than e- either of those guys can. And he might be able to make certain plays that, like I said, that, that Paul DeYoung might not be able to make. But... DeYoung is, I don't know, he, he I, I have the utmost confidence in him in the field right now to make the plays that he needs to make. His bat looks fantastic. You know, it's funny, we were worried about having, you know, a good three-hole hitter to protect Goldschmidt. And look what we're talking about today, right? If you look at, sh- just look at splits for shortstops in the National League, like he is basically crushing everyone in almost every offensive category. He's just been that good. And he's easily been the team MVP so far. I shudder to think where they would be without him. It's incredible because I feel like we sort of saw shades of this before the hand injury last year. And then that just wrecked his 2018 season because of the time off, because of everything that it took to get him back on the field. And then how much of a struggle it was for him to really find his groove at the plate or in the field, really, once he came back from that injury. That said, Baseball Reference tweeted this earlier today. Paul DeYoung is the second Cardinals player in the last 60 years to break nine war through his first three Major League Baseball seasons. The other player to do so was Albert Pujols. Wait, can you say that stat again? He was the second to do that? Second Cardinals player in the last 60 years to break nine war through his first three major league seasons. No kidding. Okay. And, and Pujol probably did like 17. Yeah, probably. Right? I mean, yeah. second by a lot, but nonetheless, I would not have expected that. I would not have expected him to have such historic 
levels of success as quietly as he has. Yeah, you could almost argue his breakout season was last year because he was still above a 3-1 player last year. And that was even with him, you know, breaking his hand uh, and coming back and being a, I don't want to say a shell of himself, but he was not the same player. Right. Um, and, and he was he was really good at the plate before the injury happened and was also really good in the field. So, yeah, I mean, w- we might have a, a gem on our hands here. And the the real MVP is the Cardinals development staff. Like <laughs> how they they're just like wizards when it comes to to finding these guys. And um, you might have to refresh my memory when DeYoung was drafted, but obviously he wasn't uh you know, one of the, I think he was what fourth round pick maybe out of Illinois state. Um, you know, never supposed to be this. Right. 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 Like he, he, I'm sure at some point they realized, okay, this is a major league player here, but I doubt they ever thought he was going to be this. And so, yeah, this has been really exciting. And it's also crazy to think that this is his age 25 season. Yeah. You know, this is not a case where, you know, he came in, um, you know, as a 25 or 26 year old and he's, you know, already 28, you know, no, no, he, this is a really exciting thing we have going on here. And, you know, I, I I love the fact that we can say he's the best shortstop in the national league (laughs) because that probably drives Cubs fans crazy, but right now he is. It's amazing to me. I remember when the Cardinals called him up and it was kind of at the time, it felt like a little bit of a desperation move. And it was like, well, I guess Paul DeYoung's going to be the shortstop now because there's no one else to do it. Not sure he's really ready for that. And then he came up and hit a handful of home runs and yeah. everybody was like, oh, oh, he yeah. can hit major league pitching. And then it's just been pretty much all uphill from there. What's impressive is how he continues to improve. I I can't get over the dramatic difference in his approach at the plate since that first week of the season. He's talked a number of times in the last week in interviews he's done about the mechanical changes that he made to his swing, how he just kind of quieted things down in the box and, and all of that. We've talked before. He's a pretty smart guy just Mm -hmm. as a human being. But when you can apply that to what you're doing as a baseball player and, and how to make those adjustments, it's fascinating to watch. And I just I I'm more and more impressed with him all the time. And I just wanted to talk about him because I think he's been fantastic. And and it's maybe a little harder to quantify all of that than to look at how much of an impact Paul Goldschmidt not hitting has had. But Paul DeYoung is the reason that Paul Goldschmidt not hitting hasn't been that big of a deal. Yeah, he has basically doubled his walk to strikeout ratio from last year and what basically tripled it from his rookie year. It's crazy. I mean his his strikeout rate went from 28% in 2017 and it's down near 16% right now. I mean that's that's phenomenal. And that's not something I expected from him after that first rookie year. I just thought that you know, you've heard me on this stupid rant before, just like, look, you either see the ball or you don't, and you kind of are who you are with that stuff. Well, and it's not just that either. His walk rate has doubled since his, his rookie year. It went from 4.7%, and he's near 10% this year. I mean, it's incredible. I don't know what else to say. Yeah, I was not sold on Paul DeYoung as the three-hitter for this team because I didn't think he could be this consistent. So Paul DeYoung... <laughs> You know, because you're listening to this podcast, uh, apologies on behalf of my 
poor predictions for what your career might look like, or at least this season. And man, just keep doing your thing because it is uh, it is a lot of fun to watch. Alex, that's all I can think to say about Paul DeYoung at this point. So unless you have anything else to add, let's uh, let's let's move on to the trip of the week. Okay. So we already talked about how the Cardinals got their butts kicked in Wrigley this past weekend. And I think we need to restore their dignity a little bit. Uh, So I wanted to look at players, well, Cardinals, of course, who over the years have hit really well at Wrigley. Mm. Uh, That sounds fun, right? Yeah. And so I, I went to Baseball References Play Index, and I search for a minimum of Cardinals who had at least 100 plate appearances at Wrigley. Um, and then I sorted them by various things. Uh, by the way, Stan Musial has, to the surprise of no one, had 859 plate appearances at Wrigley. So over a full season at Wrigley. Um, second most is Luke Brock with 577. So there's a pretty big gap there. 100 was a minimum. And then I uh, sorted it by OPS and look, OPS isn't the most perfect stat to use here because, you know, it doesn't really adjust for era, but, you know, we're not going to be big babies and nerds about that on just a little chirp of the week. So I'm sticking with OPS and I'm going to rattle off, starting with five and going up to number one, the players who have the top five OPS, the Cardinals who have the top five OPS at Wrigley with at least 100 plate appearances. Okay. Number five is Les Bell. Sure. Um, if you have never heard of that name, uh, don't feel bad. I hadn't either. Uh, he played from 1924 to 1927. He had a 949 OPS at Wrigley. Fourth place, Joe Torrey. Okay. From 1969 to 1974, he had a 960 OPS at Wrigley. Third, to the surprise of probably a very few, Albert Pujols. Mm. Uh, from 2001 to 2011, he had a 999 OPS at Wrigley, um, including where is it? Including 26 home runs, uh, which is second only. Just kind of like his career home run mark as a Cardinal is just barely um, below Stan Musial. That's also that 26 home runs at Wrigley is also just below Stan Musial. Stan Musial hit 28 home runs at Wrigley. That's the most by any Cardinal. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, number two on this list is Rogers Hornsby. From 1916 to 1933, he had a 1,036 OPS at Wrigley. And um, do we do sound effects? If we do sound effects, uh, drum roll, please. Got it. Um, okay. Just everyone imagine this drum roll. I'll see what I can find. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, number one. I wasn't expecting this. This is kind of cool. Orlando Cepeda huh. had a 1,049 OPS at Wrigley. And where where's the plate? How many plate appearances? Okay, and 116 plate appearances from 1966 to 1968. I'll tell you a slash line. He batted 347, had an OBP of 405, and slugged 644. So the Cardinal that Cubs fans may have feared the most at one point was Orlando Cepeda. He just ate up the Cubs. Um, I thought that would be fun to hear after what happened this past weekend. Now, Tara, I do have some bad news. Uh-oh. So this sample of players with 100 plate appearances at Wrigley, 104 players total, 104 Cardinals in all. Okay. Do you want to know who has the second worst OPS at Wrigley? All right, let's hear it. Colton Wong, uh. Uh, 529, <laughs> which kind of makes sense, right? Like I can't think of a single Colton Wong moment at That's Wrigley. That's true. 
I, I mean, really he did have that walk-off last year at Bush against the Cubs. So he's right, had, right, against but, the Cubs, he's had some moments, but yeah, not at Wrigley. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And that's in, I think, what, 124 plate appearances? Yeah, so he has plenty of time to uh, to make his mark there. Uh, Mike Matheny, number 100. Uh, but again, yeah. we don't want to talk about the people at the bottom. We want to talk about the people at the top. I'll tell you who round out the top 10. Number six is Bob O'Farrell. Seven, one of my favorite baseball names ever, Ray Blades. Eight, Scott Rowland, nine, J.D. Drew, and ten, Jim Edmonds. Stan Musial was number 12, um, and he, you know, like I said, he played more than a full season, basically, at Wrigley Field. And he had very, very good numbers, just not very good Stan Musial numbers. He batted 308 with a 384 OBP and a 508 slugging. So that's an 892 OPS, which obviously is very, very good. Unless you're Sam Musial. <laughs> it's, it's bad when you set such a high standard for yourself that, uh, you know, you can't even can't even crack the top right. 10 on <laughs> on any of these lists. Right. But so if you already <laughs> had good thoughts about Orlando Cepeda, which you should, you know, he, he coined the great, you know, Berto's um, thing, which, you know, which we all know now. Uh, he was on those uh, 67 and 68 teams, won the MVP in uh, 67 you should feel even better about him because he used to torture the Cubs in front of their home fan. That's what they deserve. Next time the Cardinals are at Wrigley Field, they just need to tell everyone to channel Cepeda. Yeah, maybe we could bring him or something. There you go. Just bring He's 81 years old. Good for him. May not be interested in a trip to Wrigley at that point in his life. I wouldn't blame him. But, you know, no, if he wants to no. torture some Cubs fans a little bit more, yeah, maybe maybe one last trip to uh, to the joys of Wrigley Field. Uh, nonetheless, that is your trip of the week. Alex, thanks so much for that. Make sure that you're following both Alex and I on Twitter because we tend to talk about these things throughout the week in between the recordings of the show, especially when it's something like we've done in the past and like Alex referenced, where we bring out something that seems concerning and then that very thing is yeah. completely eliminated. We were very worried about Miles Michaelis last week. and he We were. Yeah. Well, he didn't yes. pitch a shutout, but he pitched several scoreless innings. Yeah. So uh, maybe that's all that it takes is for us to voice a concern and then you know, things magically take care of themselves. Nonetheless, you can join that conversation with us on Twitter throughout the week. I'm at Tara Wellman. He's at AlexCard79. You can follow Birds on the Black at Birds on the Black. Make sure that you are subscribed to the Birds on the Black podcast. And guys, there's a ton of crazy and awesome information and analysis at birdsontheblack.com right now. Make sure that you're checking that out if you are in need of some additional Cardinals content other than that, we will be back next week to hopefully talk about a better sequence of games for the St. Louis Cardinals. But until then, I'm Sarah. He's Alex. We'll talk to you next time. <laughs>